bring the Bible reading for this morning, which is Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, following on from the story of Philip in Samaria and uh, all the fun and games that they had up there. We're going to look at another encounter that Philip had in um, proclaiming the gospel. And so it's Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 26, if you've got one of the core Bibles on one page 161. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get ready and go south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This road is not used nowadays. So Philip got ready and went. Now, an Ethiopian eunuch who was an important official in charge of the treasury of the Queen of Ethiopia was on his way home. He'd been to Jerusalem to worship God and was going back home in his carriage. As he rode along, he was reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over to that carriage and stay close to it. Philip ran over and heard him reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. He asked him, Do you understand what you are reading? The official replied, How can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And he invited Philip to climb up and sit in the carriage with him. The passage of scripture which he was reading was like was this like a sheep that is taken to be slaughtered like a lamb that makes no sound when its wool is cut off he did not say a word he was humiliated and justice was denied him no one will be able to tell of his descendants because his life on earth has come to an end the official asked philip tell me of whom is the prophet saying this of himself or of someone else. Then Philip began to speak. Starting from this passage of scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled down the road, they came to a place where there was some water. And the official said, Here is some water. What is to keep me from being baptised? The official ordered the carriage to stop. And both Philip and the official went down into the water. And Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord took Philip away. The official did not see him again, but continued on his way, full of joy. Philip found himself in Ashdod. He went on to Caesarea, and on the way he preached the good news in every town. And Lord Jesus, we do acclaim you as Lord and Saviour, and we want to know more of what that means for us individually, for us as a a body of your people, how it is that we should live out and share that faith with others. So we pray that as we contemplate your word this morning, that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know what you're like when you're out on a journey. Most of us like to get wherever we're going fairly quickly and, you know, get the journey over with. And uh, certainly that's true for us when we're heading down for family because that is a fair journey that we have to make. But even on local journeys... Uh, you don't really like to get stuck in traffic. And I remember uh, when my parents were the officers at Margate, and uh, for various reasons they used to have to go into Canterbury, which wasn't very far away. But it so happened that the road, the direct road from the Isle of Thanet, where you've got Margate and Ramsgate and Broadstairs, all of those places, into Canterbury, is still a, a, an ordinary country road. Mind you, that's not such a problem in Scotland, but down in the south of England, there's so much traffic, that's a real big issue. And actually, you have to go through a village. 
which has um, those like two funny mini roundabouts in the middle of it and, and all that kind of thing. And there's an industrial estate between the village and, and the city of Canterbury. And the traffic is horrendous. So actually, um, I discovered that the hard way. So my mum and dad, if they had to go into Canterbury, they would take a detour and they would go about 10 miles out of their way, heading back to, towards um, London and then come in from Canterbury from a different direction because actually that was significantly quicker. And they didn't want to be wasting their time. They were busy people and so we're, we're conscious, aren't we, when we're busy that we want to do that which we think is important and we don't want to get held up. Mind you, I have learnt the benefit over the years of taking detours. Uh, in North, when we were in North Scotland, we'd obviously regularly go to Aberdeen for uh, divisional headquarters, divisional meetings and the like. And uh, that was 70 miles each way. And what you discovered very quickly is that it was actually quite boring to get on this, this busy, uh, uh, fast road and just drive up and drive back. And uh, so we used to take little detours because although it is important when you're busy not to waste time, there are times when doing something that isn't quite so obvious actually is of benefit. And certainly if, if we had... Uh, we're tearing up the road to Aberdeen, spent a fair bit of the day there on business and then tearing back. We just ended up coming home feeling completely exhausted. And like a 15-minute detour or pulling off for a cup of coffee or if the time was right, a pack of chips over on the coast was, was really good. And that's the kind of issue that's in this story today. Because um, last Sunday morning, you would have heard from Elizabeth about how Philip was having a great time in Samaria. People were getting saved, people were getting healed, and uh, even to the extent that Simon the sorcerer got interested and uh, was, was trying to cash in on the success that Philip and the apostles were having, and he had to be dealt with. And so it was that Philip, in missionary terms, is actually doing a really good job. And you would think that the most important thing he could do was to stay put and carry on. That's how we would view it. If your business is doing well, you don't decide to pack up and go off somewhere else. But our opening verse said, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get ready and go south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And some of the translations say, the desert road, or the, the deserted, the unused road, as it says in this translation. Why, when people are getting saved by their hundreds, in, an, in a busy cosmopolitan place, would you want to go to the desert road? Some people say, why? If you can come and live in a fantastic place like Edinburgh and everything's going on, would you want to come down to a little border town like Hoyk? It's the same kind of conversation. People get these in their minds, but God has a different view of things. Uh, let me say that I'm very happy to be in Hoyk and not in Edinburgh, but, but there you go. But God has a different view of things to us sometimes. And we actually need to be challenged, maybe, about how we view what we ought to be doing. And God has a plan in mind for Philip. And so here's one of the people whose busyness is interrupted by God's plans. Do you know what the interesting is? It doesn't matter which translation you read, it just says, Philip did it. Philip we, we realise, and I, I must admit, I, I'd got the, my Phillips mixed up because I had assumed this is the same Philip that we read about in the Gospels. Um, but it's not. The scholars 
I have this guy down as a Hellenistic Jew who was one of those back in Acts chapter 6 who became one of the, one of the deacons, one of the servants that were providing for the food. But he had learned in his short time as a member of the church, as a follower of Jesus, that when God says do something, he's got a good reason for it. And so Philip got up and went. At the same time, there's another man for whom we could actually say time is money. He is the treasurer of the, the court of Ethiopia. A high official, probably second or third in the country after Queen Candice. A very important man, riding in some translations say a chariot, some say a carriage. We don't quite know what it looked like, but it would be something that would take him on a long journey, safely, securely, and no doubt quite quickly. And he is leaving Jerusalem, and he's been there to worship God. Now, it was not unusual in those days for people to worship several gods. So the thing that we, we maybe are not quite clear about is whether this was um, a, a proselyte, whether this was a convert to Judaism, or whether this man, at least at this stage, was simply one of those learned men who would go around and sample all of the different religions. All we know is he's been to worship God. But we're told that he was reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, that wonderful passage from Isaiah chapter 53. Like a sheep that is taken to be slaughtered, like a lamb that makes no sound when its wool is cut off, he did not say a word. The passage that this Messiah, the Jews expected the Messiah to come. And in fact, Philip was among those who had discovered that Jesus was this Messiah. And so here we have two men that are on a journey and for both of them, there's a sense in which time is critical. And I don't know how well you can see this, but here's a, a map that just kind of draws out what is happening here. So Philip is in Samaria, the region in the center of the map to the left, just west of the River Jordan. Jerusalem is down below, just alongside the Dead Sea, both in the hill country. And so Philip is going to have to head south, make his way over quite rugged territory, and in the meantime, the Ethiopian is coming by a desert road. Um, presumably, it's a bit more open than some of the hill country. And he's coming in his carriage, heading from Jerusalem towards the west. Um, this map shows that he then turns left. But I always kind of assumed he would head to Gaza and go down the coast road. But who knows? But anyway, at some point on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza, Philip meets up with this Ethiopian. Now, neither of them planned this. Philip had just had instructions to head south. The Ethiopian was just following the obvious route home. But along the way, in the middle of nowhere, these two men met. And there is no doubt from the way this story is told that Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, assumes that this is God's appointment. But why? Why bring together Philip, who, as far as we know, is just a fairly ordinary guy, no um, particular status in society. After all, he, he's a waiter in the church. So we, we kind of assume he was just an ordinary man. And then you've got this really high-ranking official. It would be a bit like you and me suddenly meeting up with, I don't know, the Lord Lieutenant or something like that. Just, oh, mind you, you can in Scotland, can't you? Because it's a small country. But if you were doing it down in England, something like that would be quite unusual. Or, or meeting with uh, a high official in the Queen's household, or just bumping into the Prime Minister. You know, it, it, it just doesn't happen. 
And yet God brings these two people together. And he does it because the Ethiopian has a question and Philip has an answer. And it's interesting to me that the Ethiopian must have been really searching for the answer to his question, that he would just invite a stranger into his chariot, into his carriage. And so it is they get into conversation. And Philip asks him what it is that troubles him. Does he understand what he's reading, rather? And the Ethiopian says, well, no, because I haven't met anybody who can explain it to me. You probably wouldn't have met them in the temple, um, because by this time the Jews were beginning to scatter because they were suffering some persecution. Uh, And so, sorry, the Christians were beginning to scatter because of persecution by the Jews. So he probably wouldn't find anybody in the temple who would explain that this was Jesus. And so it is that Philip joins him in his chariot, a bit like getting into the into the the Queen's Rolls Royce. Quite a a luxurious thing, I guess. And they get into this conversation. And this high-ranking official, who is no doubt very intelligent, very capable, in worldly terms, very successful, realizes that this ordinary guy has got the answer, not just to his technical question, who is Isaiah speaking of, but actually has got the answer to the question that's probably been nagging him and is probably the reason that he's come to worship God. Actually, who is God and how do I meet him? And so as Philip explains the good news about Jesus, starting from this passage, and that's all he did. He didn't do anything clever. There's no, there won't be any great theology necessary in here except just knowing enough that Jesus is the one who fulfills this prophecy and who has come from God to save his people. And so it is that out of this, um, the man says, as I had at the beginning, stop the chariot, I want to get off. Now here's something. You're in the middle of nowhere. Here is a man who is busy heading back for his very important job. And he has discovered something that is more important than his position, more important than the possibility that he might keep the queen waiting. After all, if he's come to worship God, he may well be expected to go back and give a report of of what's happened and why he's been here. And yet this man has perceived that something is happening, it has happened in this conversation, something has been revealed to him that is just so much more important than anything else in his life. He's willing to stop with a total stranger in a pool in the desert to ask to be baptised. There is a verse that appears in some manuscripts and not in others, and we don't know why, and therefore some compilers and translators of the Bible put it in and some don't. But uh, if they don't, they put a footnote, which is very helpful. And so verse 37, which is missing in the text of this translation, says, Philip said to him, You may be baptized if you believe with all your heart. I do, he answered. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that is the key thing in the whole of this story. That is why Philip needed to leave behind what he was doing up in the north, head south, and meet this guy who needed to hear what Philip had to say and to stop and be baptized. And that's what happened. They got out of the chariot, out of the carriage. They went down to the pool, whatever it was. They dumped the Ethiopian guy in the pool fully clothed in all, all his robes and everything, I guess. I don't know. And, and that doesn't that tell you something about how important this was? Because you remember Naaman when he was told to go and baptize in the Jordan. 
I don't want to get baptized in that stinking river. We've got much cleaner rivers at home. Why can't I do it there? The key thing was the obedience to God. And so it was. This man was baptized. And then it says, the spirit of the Lord took Philip away. We don't know if he vanished. We don't know if he kind of slipped away while the guy was underwater. We don't know if it's just that they quietly spoke and then Philip just left. We just know that they parted company. But this man's life was changed because here he had encountered the living Lord Jesus. And he went on his way full of joy. And then, of course, Philip picks up his mission and so he heads across um, to Azotus on this map, Ashdod, it's the same place on the west coast, makes his way up to Caesarea preaching all the way. A minor interruption to his mission. But you think of the impact of that conversation. Here is a man who is virtually the head of government for an important queen down in Africa. No doubt on his way he would have Tell, he, he will have met up with other important people in the other countries passing through Egypt and further on down and then when he got home he would start to tell those in court about what he had heard you know how it is that if anything happens amongst the royal family in this country word starts to seep out and people start to talk about it so if this guy is telling the queen and all those in court that actually he's discovered the son of God the savior of the world and you need to get him too because he'll change your life. He'll forgive your sins, set you free, and give you a new purpose. And all of that. And that's more important than the status that I've got. This is going to get out. By the 4th century, Ethiopia was officially a Christian country. Um, in theory, it still is, though there's a lot of trouble with the Muslims at the moment. Because, as you, as you know, even here, the radical Muslims come in and they try and turn things over. We don't quite have persecution here yet, but they do in Ethiopia after 1,600 years of official Christianity. And actually, in that country, many people trace the origin of the Christian faith to this one man. Now, we can't be certain, and there will have been others along the way, but it seems to me not unlikely that as a result of Philip's conversation, the Christian faith came to Ethiopia. So here we have two people, busy people, people with responsibilities, and yet God interrupts their day to bring them together. And each one of them has something to say to us. First of all, Philip, a devoted follower of Jesus, keen to share the good news. And God interrupts him because just for a day, he's got something a bit more urgent to do. And Philip doesn't argue, I would like to say that I'm like that. I would like to say that I listen so well that when God speaks, I hear him straight away and I do what he tells me. There are times when I'm not sure if this is God speaking and maybe I just don't even bother to go and inquire. And maybe there are times when I do, but I think, oh, I can't do that just now. I'm in the middle of something. And then the thing that God wants doesn't get done. Though there are times when God speaks in various ways, sometimes out loud, sometimes through the words of scripture, sometimes in prayer as things come to mind. And I think, oh yes, I must do that. And I go and do it and I discover what the reason is. And so there's a challenge for those of us that are Christians, for those of us that claim to be followers of Jesus, that claim to obey uh, the living God. We need to be listening as Philip did 
for the voice of God, for the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And then, when we hear, we need to obey. And if God says do it now, we need to do it now. Because it might not quite make sense. It might seem that what we're doing is really important or urgent. But maybe God's just got an encounter with somebody that will bring encouragement to them, that will bring comfort, that will bring challenge, that might potentially, as occasionally happens, save their lives. So we need to be listening as Christians to, to what God wants to say to us. And we need to respond quickly. On the other hand, here you've got a man who doesn't know Jesus. But he knows that there is something that he needs to know. Uh, and in this particular instance, he happens to be reading the scriptures. But there are many, many people out there that don't know Jesus. And maybe there are some in here that don't know Jesus. And surely the example of this Ethiopian who could easily have said, I'm far too busy for this, I'm far too busy to stop and to talk to this man who isn't really very important anyway, or I'm far too busy to actually pause and, and, and be baptized. Actually, maybe if you haven't yet met Jesus, it's time to stop rushing around and to take some time and to listen to what God has to say and then to bring your life to Jesus as the Ethiopian official did.